Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, Scott Devine here and I'm back with another episode of the SBL podcast and it's been a while since our last podcast. I think I was just thinking about it before I hit record. I was like, man, when's the last time I did uh, a podcast? I think it was about a month ago and if you've been um, a regular podcast listener, I expect you were probably thinking, where have all the podcasts gone? Because for over almost two years, we've published a podcast every single week and uh, and just over the last few months we've really dialed it back and there's a couple of reasons for that and I'm going to talk about that right now before we uh, get into uh, into this month's podcast and I've got some good news and some bad news for you so uh, bear with me so first of all why have we not been publishing as many podcasts well it really it came from a conversation that I had with Nick and obviously if you've been listening um, to the SBL podcast for a while. You'll know Nick because he has done around 50 of the interviews on the SBL podcast. And uh, we, we were having a conversation and and Nick just said, he just said, I think we can do a lot better than we are doing in terms of the quality of the content. And, and he was specifically talking about the interviews and the podcasts. So that let, led us to thinking about um, how to restructure what we were doing, and and really we completely reinvented what we were doing. This in this January of 2018, we went from uh, just you know kind of sort of like bog standard interviews that we were doing over Skype. We went from that to full blown um, videos in in the studio. We were flying the guys into the studio. Not only were we flying the guys into the studio, but we're also flying the bands in as well. So our the guests would you know bring their own bands in, and and for you know two or three episodes, we were like, this is killer. This is exactly what we should have done um, so long ago. So we were really really over the moon with what we were putting out and if you've been if you've been checking out what we've been doing over the last few months we've had Galen Dorsey on um obviously you know bass player for so many amazing artists but you know just obviously a, a notable one is David Bowie she was in the studio and then we had Kevin Scott um who is a New York City heavyweight and he's been getting some amazing gigs he's gig- gigging with um the band Fork he's also gigging with um he's gigging with Wayne Krantz all these uh, Jimmy Herring all these great artists and he came down he brought Henry Hay and Fork and we filmed the interview with Kevin and um and Fork and it was really fantastic and then we had Moto Fukushima come down again with his band and we recorded a full full uh, session in the studio with those guys and and it was great and the and the feedback from the members inside Scott's bass lessons was just through the roof right everybody was like this is amazing and the, obviously the you know we got some some great feedback from you guys as well until i kind of looked at the numbers and i was like whoa <laughs> you know each episode is taken as it's thousands of dollars to produce each episode so and that's where we are. That's where what kind of sort of like brings me to the conversation right now is that we've had to do some kind of soul searching in terms of what we want to do with the podcast because we absolutely love um, putting these videos together, putting the uh, 
putting these player profiles together and getting the bands down into the studio and doing these things. But it does cost, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars for each episode. And we just can't sustain that for the podcast. So it was really, do we stop doing that? Or do we, you know, do we stop doing that style of of, uh, media, of, of content for the podcast? Or do we stop doing the podcast? So... What we've decided to do is this will be the last player profile on the SPL, um, the SPL podcast because we really don't, don't want to stop doing that content. But obviously, um, and, and not only do we not want to stop doing that content, we think it is in- incredibly value valuable for our members of the uh, of the of the of Scott's Bass Lessons to be able to you know see amazing bands and exclusive performances from the guys that we get in for the interviews and the player profiles but also you know learning from the from the players themselves about you know how they've done what they've done what they've studied how they got there the lessons they've learned the um, the downs they've had the ups they've had there's there's huge amounts of stuff to learn there so we really wanted to keep doing that content and we really want to keep doing it at the quality that we've been doing that over the last few months which is why we're having to remove or we're not removing any past past podcasts or anything like that but we won't be publishing any of that style onto um onto the SBL podcast moving forward from today that will be kept all of that content, all of the exclusive performances and stuff like that, they're going to be kept directly for the uh, for the membership at scottspacesessons.com, which you should grab a uh, membership to. Obviously, it's like you can grab a fourteen day free trial and just check out all of our courses. You know the the whole nine yards. You you know that you know you know what we do. We're essentially the ultimate online bass school for bass players such as yourselves, guys that really want to take their bass playing to the next level and actually level up. You know, stop treading water like you have been doing for however however many however however long, and actually sort of like make a difference to your playing. That's what we're here for, right? So uh, so that's what we're going to be doing with that content. Now moving forward, I should also say that I do want to keep doing the SBL podcast. Um, but I think it's going to be moving forward from now. It's going to be more of me on my own. I'm going to be sharing stuff that's working for me. I'm going to be sharing some of my stories and things that I think that you could learn from because I've had a whole host of different experiences in my life all around playing and things that I've learned and I want to share them with you. So that's where we're going with the SBL podcast moving forward from now. Um, again, like we'd love to keep doing these really high quality player performances and player profiles that we've been doing, but it's just not economically viable because it costs thousands of dollars per episode and we don't want to stop doing them. Okay, we want to keep doing them because nobody else is doing them. <laughs> so somebody needs to do them. And if that somebody needs to be yours, well, then it's going to be yours. So moving forward, the player profiles and the exclusive performances and those styles of interviews will be moved entirely into the membership over at scottspacesessons.com and we're going to leave the SBL podcast out we're not going to remove any episodes or anything like that everything will stay intact so obviously there's over a hundred episodes um, but moving forward the SBL podcast will be more of my ramblings more of me just sharing my ideas and my my own journey along the way and uh, and hopefully you guys will dig on that as much as you've you know enjoyed the SBL podcast so far 
Um, so, who's up this week? <laughs> uh, well, up this week is an amazing bass player called Brad Miller, who's originally from Florida. You'll hear that in the interview. Um, but he now lives in New York, and he's at the ripe old age of 24. 24, can you even imagine that? So, the crazy thing about Brad is that he's getting some gigs with some phenomenal artists. Um, he's been playing with Wayne Krantz. Um, he's been playing with Osnoy. Um, like so many, like like this guy is getting some really, really fantastic gigs and playing with some of the top players that are based in and around New York. And when somebody's 24 and doing that, it you know, for me, that means, you know, we should listen up to what's going on. So Brad in this interview is going to share everything about um, how he, you know, from moved from Florida to New York, how he's been, you know, getting himself into the scene and just... He's gonna. He's really awesome in this interview. I think you're gonna get a ton from it, and uh, and also if remember if you're an academy member, you're also gonna see the exclusive performances as well because so, Brad brought down an entire band, um, and he was performing with his band in the studio over in New York. We got some killer footage, and yeah, you're gonna absolutely love it. And a massive shout out to the band as well that he brought down, um, especially Ben Houston on on guitar. Just absolutely phenomenal player. Really, really fantastic. So, without further ado, guys, let's get on with this week's podcast with the monstrous Brad Miller. Hey, guys, how's it going? So, we're here with the awesome Brad Miller here in New York City, and I don't even think I've told you, Brad, how I even found out about you or anything like that. And it was actually through Instagram <laughs> that I found out about Brad, and just geeking out over players that, like, I'm really into Osnoy, I'm really into oh, yeah. Dave Binney who you've both, you've played with both those guys and a you know, multitude of other people. And I can remember you kept on coming up in my feed and I was like, who oh, yeah. is this guy that looks really young who's playing with all these awesome guys? And, and then we were in New York City and I reached out to Brad yesterday because I huh. knew that we had a day and I was just like, do you want to come in and do something? Oh yeah. And he was awesome enough to come in and do something with us, which we've been, you've had your band in here. Was that your band? Um, two of the musicians, yes. Um, Nick, I just called on a spur. I was like, last night, can you come play? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Just came in and we figured out the tunes right here. So. Awesome. Well, you, you guys are going to be able to check those uh, performances out as part of this, as part of the video. But what I really want to talk to you about today is like, you were really young, you know, yeah. for the guys that you are playing with at the minute, you know, uh, because the style that you play in, which is like experimental jazz, yeah. you know, funk and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you're probably in the hardest, you know, the, the, the toughest place in the world Definitely. to, to get <laughs> yeah. those gigs and you're getting them. So you're obviously doing something right. And I'm sure that there's a ton of people that want to know what you are doing right, yeah. you know, and find out a bit about you. But so, but let's rewind first of all and find yeah. out when did you even pick up the bass? Um, I was in a, about elementary school. My mom tried getting me to play tuba. Um, and I was like, no, I don't want to play this. And, um, <laughs> yes. So in orchestra, I was noticing I was reading bass cliff when I was playing tuba. I was about seven years old and I was like, no, let me just play bass. Um, well, you were seven and playing a tuba. Are they the same size? No, I was, I don't Did know you have how a mini tuba. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I just switched to, I mean, there was a bass in, uh, the orchestra room. So I played it and my band director was like, you know, that's the same clef. Like you can play that and then you can move on to upright when you're about older. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that's why uh, I started electric. And then I was into like Rush, Led Zeppelin, you know. And how old were you when you were into them band? Uh, about seven, eight years old. Um, you were kidding. So you're like, <laughs> you started really, really, were yeah. your parents musicians or something? Um, no, my mom was internationalist though. She lived in eight different countries and she actually dated Frank Sinatra for a little bit. 
So, Seriously? Yeah. Um, so always in the house, I had like big band records. I'm yeah. from, I was like three years old and stuff. So Amazing. And when did, like, was it always in your plan? Was it always a plan of yours to become a musician? From seven, yeah. I, I kind of always knew I wanted to play. Man, my kid's four now. Huh. I'm going to like, if, if it gets to seven, I'm going to be like, well, Brad knew exactly what he wanted oh, to do when he was seven. <laughs> you need to get your shit together. But yeah, so, so you always knew that you were going to be a yeah, musician. Yeah, especially seven, in yeah. middle school, because that's when I switched to upright bass. I was about 10, and I was winning competitions, like doing competitions and placing in them. And I was like, okay, maybe I have a thing at this, you know. Yeah, so. and was it like jazz stuff that you were doing? Oh, uh, mostly classical. At the time when I was 10, yeah. I was studying, yeah, classical double bass pretty intensively. So you've got all that classical technique. Not anymore, but yeah, I used to, yeah. <laughs> Did you not keep it up, no? Um, the thing is, having an upright in the city is a little bit impractical sometimes. I know there are guys who do it, but I left mine at a college, and it broke, and someone dropped it in pieces yeah, up yeah, here yeah. in New York, yeah. so. So when you were going through, obviously I like, went through high school and stuff like that, were you into, did you get into jazz in high school or was it um, something that was later on? It became secondhand to me because I was really studying jazz in middle school, but when I went to high school, people were starting to call me for gigs and that mostly consisted of like blues gigs, funk gigs, um, James Brown, you know, uh, the meters yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff. So. And did you know anything about like, harmony or theory at this point or were you just i was just a jocko head i just listened to records and i was like yeah that's crazy just so you knew sort of like the licks but you didn't exactly understand what was going on the vocabulary yeah Yeah, completely yeah yeah yeah. you were learning the licks but didn't understand sort of like oh that fits over like a dominant chord or something exactly yeah 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 yeah. when did you start getting into all that um i had this great well my middle school band director um his brother-in-law taught at university of miami at that time his name's nicky orda i studied with him and the first time i went to his house he saw I had all these chops and stuff, and he was like, do you know who Clifford Brown is? And I was like, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, play that Jocko lick. Do you know what you're playing over that? Or like, what chord change you're playing over? Yeah. And I was like, no idea. He's like, forget Jocko, Clifford Brown. You know, Jocko's still the greatest, of course. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But just to get the actual language Yeah, down, so yeah. I started studying like early bebop with him, and he taught me some vocabulary stuff and, you know, knowing harmony and stuff. Yeah, and what, what kind of stuff did he start you off with? Uh, like Clifford Brown, like, I, what, this is from Confirmation. <laughs> actually getting you to play the heads oh uh, no just the solos just the solos yeah. yeah um of course like i mean through jocko's instructional dvds and stuff i learned that like he mentions always learn the VHS melody is vhs dude <laughs> Sorry, <yeah>. it was <laughs> converted to dvd but yes yeah, so, like so that you were working out the actual heads and yeah. the solos of clifford brown and like really uh focusing on like how he phrases not just learning the notes um, like if he accents into something or slurs into something. And what, what was what was your teacher doing? Was he like, sort of like showing you where the actual lines are coming from? Was he yeah. like, that there is like over this Exactly, chord like the first chord in um, like confirmations in F major, he starts on the seven. Yeah, yeah. Like Michael Brecker does something off his, he does this thing with uh, three quartets with Chick Corea where he's playing drum. You know, over F. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and that, is that how you got into soloing? Oh, uh, yeah, but... Like, in terms of sort of, like, understanding what was going yes, on? Yes, um, before I started really getting, that's what I was mostly shedding. Um, when I started getting, that's when I kind of abandoned that. Yeah. Because um, I was like, all right, I need to really focus on the role of playing the bass. Yeah. With yeah. people. Um, I had this great mentor um, named Randy Bernson that I played with. He played with Zonal Syndicate for years. Um, right, okay, he also yeah, had yeah. records with, like, Herbie and Jocko and Zonal on them. Yeah. Um, 
And I remember I did a gig with him and I kind of just learned how to solo over his tunes. And he comes up to me and he's like, who the F are you? Like, you don't know any of my tunes. I played with Anthony Jackson. I played with Will Lee, like yeah, all these guys. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, crap. And I went home and I like did all my homework on those guys. And I was like, these are the guys that like hold it down and they get all the gigs. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So, so. Then when you were looking into the bass lines. Well, when you were doing, when you were working out those solos of Clifford Brown, were you also looking at the walking lines as well? Oh, a little bit. I would, well, he was, my teacher, Nikki, was very, um, focused on that every week so i would just go home and like take a ron carter book or like transcribe yeah. some records of his yeah yeah yeah. so yeah, yeah. you know so a you, pc yeah so you were doing yes. all the walking lines and you were kind of sort of like understanding ha ha actually sort of like how to yeah construct bass lines and stuff like that yeah because all the stuff that i've seen you do is more kind of like unsoloistic yeah it's like more rhythmic like rhythm and we'll talk about sort of like rhythmical stuff later on but yeah it's definitely sort of like more in that kind of um Man, I'm jet lagged. That's <laughs> cool. There, there is a word that sort of like I could use, but it's sort of like more rhythmical kind of vibe than, yeah. than soloistic. But it's interesting to know that you definitely, because I was just exactly the same. I was like, you know, soloing before oh, I could yeah. actually play bass lines. Exactly. You know I mean? Somebody was like, you should probably learn to play bass. But yeah, yeah. So when you got, when you were sort of like studying the Clifford Brown stuff, what um, bass players were you checking out at the same time? Um, definitely PC, Bob Cranshaw. Um, I was, yeah, Bob Cranshaw, yeah. Yeah, um, I had the luxury of studying with him right before he really? passed yeah, when wow. I moved here. Um, awesome. The man, you know, uh, all the stuff with Joe Henderson and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, PC, you know, uh, Jimmy Garrison, Matt Garrison's dad um, is one of the greatest. Definitely Jocko. For me, there's no one who really swings on the electric bass like him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Just the stuff he would do was ridiculous. Yeah, it was just ridiculous. So it was all the... All the guys that you yeah, expect, um, yeah. I more had an edge with Ron Carter because Ron Carter always had a tendency of playing the hip stuff, so I would listen to that more. So, like if he's playing Autumn Leaves, you know, it's like C minor to F seven. Yeah, um, yeah. He would just do this thing that's like C sharp to C, to C sharp D to like E flat E F F sharp G. So. All the way up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Oh really? All these hip, yeah, things. So I would just listen to Ron for that, and that Miles the second quartet like had all this freedom and stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you, because obviously you teach as well, didn't you? You were saying before that you've got students and stuff. Like what, what kind of stuff do you teach them to get them into this kind of? I do of... standards. Yeah. Um, I, I mix it up. I usually will teach a groove, like I'll teach something from the meters like, you know. Yeah. You know, all, all that stuff. But yeah. then I would go over standards, like maybe if we're doing something like Autumn Leaves, like taking the chord tones, like maybe the minor third, or the third root five, seven, so. So like different yeah. um, variations on the chord tones, putting them into different. And just breaking it up and then three, developing five, one, a line yeah, into yeah, that, yeah, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, that's usually yeah. when I'm adding up. There's always something new you can practice every week or teach, so. Kind yeah. of and is that the stuff that you went through? Did you yeah, do that stuff? that's pretty yeah. much what I went through. Um, until, well, my biggest thing is I always say that like, you should always play. Like, that's where you really learn yeah, you your stuff, learn. so. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But yeah, if, when I'm starting off with a student, I'm usually teaching that stuff. Yeah, just getting the chord tones down. And, and always encourage them to sit in at sessions and stuff. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely use the stuff that you're learning. But do you think sort of like scalically a lot or not? Uh, not really, because especially in New York, there's so much freedom with what people play. Um, and it just really requires listening because like someone like Wayne Krantz will be playing in like D minor or just D 
and you'll play like E flat, you know, and it's just like, it's up to you to hear that to know that that's where that's going. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. The more I got older, the more I took freedom with my lines that I'm playing. So I'll just go off and like, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, just more sort of like explore the sound a little bit more. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. So, so obviously sort of like, when did you move to New York? Did you go to, you did go to, did you do oh, a couple of months a, or something? Well, I got a full scholarship. Um, I tested out of high school. I got my GD. I was playing when I was like 16 every night in like a rockabilly band. And, um, yeah. You know, I couldn't go to, st I would play till 4 a.m. and I changed it to make my 7 a.m. class. <laughs> so um, I tested out. Um, I had this great other teacher, Don Kaufman. He heard me play one night. I was playing upright bass and I was playing Donnelly or something. He was like, Can you play that thumb position? I was like, No. Yeah. And he was like, You know, come study with me. And he gave me a full scholarship to the University of Miami. Which I, is a great school, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, the faculty is great. It was uh, yeah. like Terrence Blanchard at that time, yeah. uh, Shelly Berg. And guys, I'm. Um, I went in for like maybe a month or two, and then uh, I got 18 at this point. I was, I was 18, yeah. 18, yeah. I, I, I gave two years just playing, digging out, yeah. and um, yeah, I got a call to tour with John Cicada, and then um, because I didn't do the scholar, I mean, because I didn't do the school thing, I needed to find a place when I moved back, and um, I had a good friend named Julius Pastorius that uh, moved back to Florida into yeah. his dad's home in Deerfield, so I went and lived with him for two years. Got you, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then he had a baby, so that's why I was just like, I'm gonna move to New York, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so did you actually finish the? Did you do the? No, course? no, no, no. You didn't. No, no you I, ditched it. Yeah. What made you ditch it? Were you just like too busy? Or? Well, I just figured that um, touring with someone like Cicada would just build my resume, you know, and I, that's really what I went to that school for. That was a for. better opportunity. Yeah, sort of like, so, you can either study about playing at school or you can actually- Pretty much, play. I know it's yeah. not as black and white as that, but- you it's know. A, Yeah, it definitely depends on who you are, because I used to be very anti-institution, but I also have friends that like, school's been great for them. Yeah, You know, yeah, giving yeah. them a lot of opportunities and stuff, so. Yeah. Like Ben, Ben, the, your guitar player that's just oh, been yeah. today, he did the New York- uh, Exactly, because he's, I don't know his, uh, certain situation, but because he's like, I have a lot of friends. New England from, conservative, didn't he, up in Boston? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have a lot of friends from other countries, and you know, for them to come here, they need to either go to a college or some certain program, or if they live in a different state, they can't afford to live here, and the college will give them scholarship yeah, to live here. Yeah, so. so it's part. It's kind of like yeah. Maybe really if good. they had the opportunity to just gig, they would. Yeah. but they kind of need the music school to keep them. In Pretty the much, but Florida was cheap, so like five hundred rent, that was easy to make. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so did you finish that tour and then move straight to New York? No. no I moved with Julius. That's when you moved with yeah, Julius. Yeah, and um, that was an ass kicking, excuse my language. But um, he hooked me up with like his dad, people that played with his father, like Othello Molyneux, the steel yeah. pan yeah, player, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Randy Bernson, who that was like the real guts of my playing, Ira Sullivan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, a bunch of different guys. And that's where I really, really learned how to play bass. Oh, really? Yeah. So you came back from tour and then moved in with Julius. And yeah, this tour was literally just like tracks. Like play yeah. a whole note and read. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And what kind of stuff was he exposing you to? Uh, you know, Dave Binney, uh, Wayne yeah. Krantz. I have a great alto player. That's my roommate now. And um, I remember he came over. We, I used to have jams like every week at the house. Like, come and jog with him, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, crazy. Yeah. Um, and he heard my friend like play all these fast notes. And he was like, Dave Binney. And I was like, who's that? And then... That changed. I was yeah. telling you, yeah. We'll get on to that in a minute, because obviously, well, in a while, but yeah, because you, you play with Dave now. Yeah, just yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, that would be weird. Yeah, but yeah, awesome. Though, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, Sean Rickman, I was telling you, um, yeah. 
my Julius used to just watch his drumming DVDs and stuff, and I used to just watch that religiously with him. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you moved to New York, did you knew, know exactly which guys who you were I wanted to play with? Like, pretty yeah, much, who yeah. you wanted to play with, and obviously, did you move move to New York with a you know agenda become sort of like you know yeah I've ended up playing a, with the a best little guys. blind agenda because I really didn't know what New York pertains of so yeah you know were I mean, you scared what, what was what was the vibe like Miami I was scared too? yeah because yeah. I was I'm going to a new place and like all my people are down here um so yeah it was definitely an experience and how long have you lived here now uh, two years so two years okay so like two years so you get to New York sold my car so uh, like really yeah, so I came up like, with yeah. like five grand out of here amazing and that was just to see you through until you got some gigs exactly your work or something yeah yeah absolutely yeah because like I've, I've you know i've spoken to like loads of students and stuff and like there's so many people go through this move into a big city and you know and then having to go out and get gigs and hustle and meet yeah. people and like what did you do first like couple of weeks when you got here, going to every do? session spending i mean i was in long island so i was spending like is that what the five grand went on <laughs> just going to gigs, first yeah. four months yeah literally yeah. and um I found an awesome friend who was like, come crash on my couch for like seven months. And that was great. Um, yeah. So I was paying nothing and I was like meeting all the people I needed to meet. Yeah. Um, eventually I wanted to get out of that situation. So I got a day job, which most musicians I've taught to that, you know, they have to go through that. But yeah, of course, yeah. I made sure I found something that related to my music. So um, I worked at, I worked at Smoke Jazz Club yeah. as a bartender slash yeah, waiter. Yeah. So I'm always seeing good jazz every night. And Yeah. So you got, you got a job where you could like yeah. check out some great places. And I think if you have, I mean, if you're always worrying about money, that ruins with your mental mentality and when that happens the music is not 100 percent sometimes yeah, so it's yeah. good to be financially stable i was talking to this great bass player desiron douglas um he plays like lewis hayes and stuff he yeah. was telling me like the first thing about new york is you have to learn how to survive and then you focus on the music <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so. you get that first bit out of the way and you're pretty sort of, much like, you find your legs and then you're all right after that yeah yeah so when you so like when you were going around and checking out these gigs, were you also going to jam sessions? And oh yeah, was that part of it as well? Yeah, the thing about New York is um, there's not really blues and funk stuff, so it was always like straight ahead stuff. So I was always like, who can I find to like play the music I used to play back home and stuff like fusion? And what were you like, playing at home? Fusiony stuff. Yeah, like yeah. Randy. I always play, I played electric and upright, but mostly electric stuff, but fusion esque stuff. Like when I played with Othello and Randy, I was always playing electric bass. Yeah, and so. then so you were like sort of like yeah, trying to find guys that were into what you were into. Pretty much, yeah. like I was a higher and bullet head and stuff. So to me, Osnoy was like the closest thing, and you know Wayne Krantz and stuff. Yeah, and what is there like? Was there pockets of people that were into that? Like obviously, there's a straight head thing in. What do you mean? In New York. Was there like pockets of people that were into? To what you were into oh yeah in florida yeah, yeah. no um, in new york when you oh, moved here yes and no um a thing is a lot of kids just move straight here when they're 18 and they're in that straight ahead mentality you know they haven't yeah. really experienced anything to learn like how to be a real working musician because 80 percent of musicians really don't make their income from playing jazz i think yeah they typically get from teaching yeah wedding gigs yeah, or yeah, what yeah, yeah or corporate do. gigs and stuff so like that, yeah. it's good to like know that bad which it helped me out when i moved here because I was doing wedding stuff and I was doing blues and stuff. So I was able to do the bands that made money and stuff. So. Yeah. Were you doing any straight head gigs or not? Uh, rare. I mean, I did do them. Um, more so everyone associated me as this fusion guy. Um, I actually, if you ask anyone in Florida, they think I'm an upright player. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, the same story kind of as Tim. And I moved here thinking that I was going to play upright and stuff. And yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I just moved towards electric and everyone know the thing about And did you move to, you made the move to electric when you moved to New York? Pretty much as my upright broke um like this first two months. I brought a two hundred euro check base and I left it at a college and someone knocked it over a chair. So that was the end of that, yeah. Yeah, which was a blessing because I don't have to carry it on the subway. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they've got, they've got these awesome wheels, haven't they? That put they put under every yeah, but I've also seen like people like hit a crack and there goes oh, really? there, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm yeah, like, yeah. electric base is fine, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could drop it off a van, and it's fine. So how did you meet Tim? Like, you said there was some oh. sort of like you, you mentioned a story with Tim. Yeah, earlier. just for the guys as well that are listening to the podcast as well. I met Tim. Tim LaFave, obviously. Yeah, who well, did one like, of my favorites. Know, yeah, David Bowie's album, and then he played with Dave Binney. And oh yeah, everybody. Right. Okay. So, well, how did you meet him? Yeah. Um, I was a Chris Bodie fan, not like. Chris personally, but I loved his band was James Genus, uh, Billy Childs and Billy Kilson from Dave Holland's group. Yeah. yeah. Um, so my ex-girlfriend at the time when I was in like high school, she bought me tickets to go see them. And um, I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to see James Genus. And then I see this white guy, you know, Tim LaFay. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is this guy? And then I go backstage and we like hang and we talk and I play his bass. And he's like, when you move to New York, like, let me, yeah, I told him I wanted to move to New York one day. And yeah. he was like, here's my number. Like, let me help you out. Yeah. And uh, we always kept in contact. And I was playing with Kofi Burbage from Tedeschi Trust yeah, yeah, yeah. in Florida with Randy. So he would always like hit me up. Like, So there um, was some sort of like connection there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also, when we talked and he gave me his number, there was another, like, I was in Florida for like maybe another three, four years. I didn't yeah. go straight ahead. But um, I moved up here and the first person. I mean, he was like, you got to hook up with Wayne Kranz. Like, that's really, you know, play with him and you'll yeah. learn stuff. And yeah, which I did. Yeah. So not on the bandstand, but yeah. I studied with him a bit. And what did you do to do that? Did you like, literally just like call him and say, hey, oh, yeah. no, Tim gave me your number. Can no, I uh, Tim was actually playing with him one night and then Tim like walked me up to him and like introduced me. So, yeah. And then you went around his place. And yeah. Like, what kind of stuff did he show you? You know, the thing I loved about him is he was very free. He was just like. You know, I was a dude who just played grooves, so he was like, let's break up the repetition. Like, the repetition's already been done. Yeah. Just try to think of a motif with the bass line and, like, break that up with a metronome. So it allowed me to just practice. Like, when, after that, I just went home and I would just practice grooves with a metronome, but come up with lines in my head more so. And uh, that allowed freedom because I really can play whatever I want. So do you think you sort of, like, your bass playing's changed a lot since you... 100%. 100%. Yeah. 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 So, and do you think that's sort of, like, exposure to guys like Wayne Krantz and what they told you yeah. to do? Yeah. Um, Can you show me some sort of, like, an example of, well, of what you're talking okay, about? Okay, if, like, we're playing in, like, C. Um, you know, a bass player might do that, but I can go yeah. to, like, the F sharp. So if I'm doing that, like, in the Wayne fashion... finding the root you know with yeah but yeah, yeah, yeah with the freedom i'm always trying to listen to the soloist and go with where they're going and then when we relate and finally like where the root is or the home base yeah yeah so. yeah yeah so i think sort of like what a lot of people might have been thinking about when you were playing that was actual rhythm of it rhythm of it was yeah. not i suppose uh, like stereotypical do you know what i mean like you yeah you're like paul jackson You know, with that, that would really work with Wayne because then it just requires a soloist to be killing as opposed yeah. to the band being just a full unit. 
Yeah. So. Yeah, because I, I, I can remember reading an interview from where it's Wayne Kranz that we're talking about, everybody. So, like, Wayne Kranz was saying that he doesn't generally, get, he just gives them sort of like a key centre, but like, exactly like, but a, like a route. Yeah, like, it's we'll not be in D major, C. it's not D minor, it's exactly. just it's C, and then you work within those realms. And he's, like, the first thing, um, I always wanted to play with Joe Zano, and that was something that, like, you know, he passed away when I was really yeah. young, so I never had that opportunity. But when I played with him for the first time, Wayne, I noticed that he really listens to like what you play, like every single note. So I was like, this is my Jozano, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, It's yeah. very deep, like the way he conceives improvisation. Yeah, yeah. So. Was it, was it, what was it, was it, is it that kind of thing that you've got into over the last? Pretty much two years. Yeah. Um, and that's transpired into why I've been able to play with other people. Yeah. Pretty much like the first gig I did with uh, Oz and Ari Honing, I would kind of do that thing like off the one and like play with the meter. With yeah. Ari and Ari was like, that's cool, you know, and I was like, oh, thank, thank, thank yeah, the Lord. Yeah, I you will know. get on to that. So, like, just with Wayne, like, and then because Ari, honestly, like, if nobody's heard, how do you pronounce his second name? Honing? Honing. Yeah, yeah. like he's Honing. Honing. Yeah. He's like the most insane drummer you've ever heard in your entire life. In t and in terms of metric modulation, I oh, just, yeah, like, yeah. I, I, it just scares the living crap out of me. But like when you were um, developing that stuff with Wayne, were you checking out other players like Tim? Oh, yeah, Who were using that, those similar kind of concepts yes. in their playing? Um, the thing that's and were you checking them out, obviously, because you, you don't have to oh. listen to them. You can go check them out. You live Every here, right? Thursday. Um, the thing about Wayne is he's always choosing different bass players. So I would go see James Genus and how he would approach it. James would just have more of a foundation vibe. I was going to say, because he's not that style of player, is he? He's, exactly. He's more so of a traditional style Wayne, player. Wayne, you know, James would just come in and just play at the fattest groove you've ever heard. And Wayne would just sit with that because Wayne is such a good musician. He yeah. knows, like, what to do in a certain situation. And James just plays the most ridiculous grooves. So yeah, I, I don't mind listening to him when yeah, I do yeah, that. Yeah. Um, Tim and, like, Nate Wood and Kevin Scott. Those guys play, you know, with the one with that's Wayne. much more in line. With what yeah, we're they understand the improvisation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. But no hate. I mean, I love it because there's always a different vibe every week with who Wayne chooses. Yeah. So. Why do you think he does that? Do you think he's just it to mix it up? Uh, it's already done what he's done. <laughs> you yeah, know, he's older yeah, now yeah. and just yeah. wants to play with people. Yeah, because he's got so. sort of like Lincoln Goins to play with him, Anthony Jackson oh, yeah, played yeah. with him, James Genus, uh, just Fema from well, playing. Yeah, Fema's played with them. Uh, yeah. Also, in Chris Potter's Underground, they were in that group together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Like he's played with a ton of like fantastic bass players. Yeah, but anyway, so <laughs> so that like obviously, when did you sort of like get exposed to Ari Honing? And um, oh, you ended up with that younger. with Wayne? No, no, that was uh, when I was really young. You know, checking out John Michelle Pill. Jean Michel Pill. Um, and then Ari's quint his own quintet with like Tavon Penacon, like Orlando La Fleming. Uh, that stuff was like wow, that's the craziest drumming I've ever heard. And I've yeah. never heard anybody play melodies. Really, with their toms and stuff yeah, like, that yeah. he can do. And could you, when you were listening to him when you were when you you, you were younger and he was doing that metric mod modulation stuff, were you, did you have any handle on what was going on? No, I would have been like, that's not gonna be the gig I'm doing when I'm older. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you ended up on the gig, was there any? Was it like a scratch gig? Was it? Like, did you get the call? But oh, by the way, Ari's on it. Yeah, um, pretty much Ari came and uh, we did. It ended up being a successful run until BMI uh, kind of took care of the venue, like. Oh, we weren't, okay, they weren't paying yeah, rights yeah, to the yeah. place, but um, we just free, you know, we played like blues, we played funk, we did meters, we did standards, um, yeah. we did everything. And did, so. you, did you turn up to the gig and it was like, this is it, Ari's on drums? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No rehearsal? No rehearsal, and I was, into, of course, the first gig was super intimidating. Well, that's what I was going to talk about. Yeah. Like, what was it like going to that gig and you're, you're playing with this guy who is an alien when it comes to that kind of, um, you know, playing, was it? 
I was <laughs> yeah. What do I do? I mean, I was just nervous. He's not wasn't gonna like my playing, you know, because um, I'm not like I really don't practice solo stuff, so I'm more of a groove dude. But RME had such a great hookup from right when we played. And did um, you find that when he started doing that stuff, like, did you hold on for dear life? Could you follow it? No, what, it was very what easy. Do do? Um, he actually has a fat pocket, so it's very easy to follow him. Um, and also. I was playing with this drummer to go back to Florida, this dude named Jonathan Joseph, who's with Jeff Beck, and this dude was very polyrhythmic too. So I was just used to, in Florida, I learned how to trust my own pulse when I was yeah, living in Florida. Yeah, your so. internal pulse. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. not like, because if you listen to Wayne, especially with Keith Carlock, those guys love to hit the snare on one and shit to throw people off. So yeah, yeah. I just was used to that, so I just played myself and, you know, ended up yeah. being good and yeah, me and Ari have been good friends since. So. Amazing. Well, I, I've, been, I've been checking the stuff out on YouTube. And I'll, <laughs> what I'll do as well, guys, if, we're, if you're listening to the podcast, I'll make sure that we've got sort of like videos of, uh, of, of, of all this that we're talking about. And like even stuff like Jean-Michel Pilk we should put in there. Oh, yeah. People yeah. might not have heard of Jean-Michel Pilk, but he's just like this Francois. Francois Moutin. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a band. He's a rocket scientist. Yeah, it's a whole. Yeah. Fr- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let's not talk about that. That's a whole different, yeah. Like, well, Francois Moutin's a bass player who's like French, but it just there's a whole story around him. And Jean-Michel Pilk. Does Jean-Michel Pilk live in New York? He does, I he? think he's in Canada now. Is he, um, yeah. yeah. Just frightening place. Just, I think he's yeah. studying rocket science, literally. Like, yeah. He's going to school for something. Like, yeah. I hate them guys. Greedy. <laughs> I can't even play bass. <laughs> um, so when you sort of like... When you moved to New York, was was meeting other musicians and actually creating your own band a part of getting in the scene? Okay, so when I first came out here, I was noticing when I was going to jam sessions that even if I got a gig, you paid like $30 or 40 you know, nothing crazy. So Yeah. And then I was trying to play with certain people and, you know, they want to play with the guys who have big names and stuff. So I was like, let me just create my own band that has a similar improvisation to what I like. Yeah. And um, that's how that formed. And Sean Whalen was a inspiration to me growing up like, i used to check out his stuff with tim and like uh carlock yeah. and adam rogers and i asked him to join my band he was down and then from the first kid he loved it really so yeah, yeah. so where did you meet him did we did you just meet him 55. on a gig and 55 yeah, yeah. on a gig oh uh, no just i would stalk his band yeah i loved his group so much and you just said are you up for coming and doing yeah. something he was like yeah and we you? would trade music and stuff he's a very nice guy so yeah, yeah, because I think a lot of people like move to new cities and don't understand like or know how to get into, like, yeah, you know, into the scene well, and gigging. The main thing, well, I learned this with Ramsey when I was in Florida, is if you really want to play with somebody, learn all their music and then hit them up and be like, hey, you know, let's play. That's the thing with Wayne. I was like, I learned all his music. Like I could sit in with the guy for four hours. I was like, let's play. You know, so what and you knew all his tunes. Yeah, 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 yeah. still do. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? What? If if somebody wants to like check out Wayne, what albums would you recommend? Oh, uh, Long to Be Loose, Two Drink Minimum. That's the early development of the improvisation. Um, if you really, really want to check out when the band was like really on fire with like Carlock and Lefebvre. it's like kind of a bootleg, but it's called Greenwich Mean. Yeah, Greenwich Mean. Yeah. yeah. Can you not get it anymore? I mean, it's hard. You can't I've get got it on CD. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's chilling. Yeah, yeah, I've got it on CD. Um, yeah, you yeah. can't get it on any mil- millennial social, you know, iTunes, yeah, uh, yeah, Spotify yeah. or anything. You can't find it there. So yeah, yeah. I, are any of his tunes on Spotify? Not. He has like, I think two records. I think "Long to Be Loose" is on there. Um, I don't think anything relevant, like new or. What's it, what's your vibe on like? Obviously, because you're, you're 24 and you're sort of like, you've come into your professional musician in an era where Spotify was kind of like well-baked in. Oh, yeah. And like what I've seen from, from in my perspective is like, it's kind of well-baked in for me, but I've definitely, there was an era before where everybody was like happy and high-fiving to a yeah. certain extent. And then 
it the norm now is that it's like actually quite hard to make a living from oh yeah from music like what's your take on that have you thought about it is it honestly sort of like it's something not something that, that guys... bother me um because yeah. i really just focus on playing um if i let that bother me then i'm gonna be miserable all the time do you, well do you think sort of like like players of you know like sub 30 year olds maybe even like sub 28 or 27 yeah. is it even sort of like a conversation because it's because people haven't have never existed in that you know like yeah I mean jet lagged because um, like a lot of guys are like oh can you remember what it used to be like yeah that kind of mentality where a lot of like the young younger players yeah. won't have ever known that anyway so well, it, is it even like for for you for instance like you you've got your band together what what is your next step with your band how do you um, as a player try and get it out there try and get into sort of like venues and stuff like yeah, that yeah pretty much that um just recording video cuz we live in a pretty social media generation now yeah. you know that the more you put out the more you'll get booked it's like stuff. video and stuff pretty like much that, yeah, yeah cuz people are just want to see somebody for 20 seconds you know yeah yeah yeah, so. yeah. do you think like bands like snarky puppy have kind of paved the way for that's that? that's pretty think, much yeah because yeah. i do i think that's kind of like the new 100 percent marketing the band yeah. yeah just with, developing a whole show with a group you know so yeah yeah do you try and with your band do you try and like play with this uh, the same guys have the you... snarky what do you mean like oh the same musicians yeah same musicians yeah, yeah. um i really like the group I have now, um, Sean is like my ideal keyboardist. Um, ben, you know, shreds. Yeah, There's nobody yeah, that yeah, young that I yeah. know who really can do that. And Mike is just a great listener. So. Yeah. When I was watching you playing, actually, just like technique-wise, I noticed that you actually play a lot of the time around here in front of oh. the actual... Yeah. In front of the neck. I'm a P-bass player, so... Is that what it is? Because it's obviously it gives us sort of like a real rasp to the note. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you very rarely play it down... It's just so On thin. The... If I'm doing the Jocko thing, mm. you know all that. Um, I just don't. Is think... there at some point you did move further? Yeah, oh yeah. Because you were talking about Jocko before. Um, right? So I was... obviously you were stuck down here like me for a while. Oh yeah. You know, doing that thing. Um, when did you start moving up to get that sort of like fatter tone? Um, I think because Tim and O'Teal Burbridge, uh, I switched to a P bass. You know, and uh, Jamerson, you know, Willie Wheats, uh, Donny Hathaway live was like yeah, one of my favorite yeah. records of all time. So I switched to a P, um, and that's when I started more playing here. And I was like, oh, this really relates to the upright bass. So makes more sense to me yeah is that why like what why the p for you um it's cool um a lot of virtuous bass players today really can't play a p bass because it's high action yeah. um, you know they need the short scale Fat stuff necks and, yeah so yeah. you know i'll play a session or something and i'll be like you know take my bass <laughs> then they'll be working hard so <laughs> yeah i've yeah. done that before yeah, yeah yeah it's kind of evil and fun at the same time exactly <laughs> yeah. so um go on then off you go <laughs> yeah um so pretty much that and I think that, I mean, there are guys like Lindley Marth, uh, who play with Zolno, um, who kill it, who are unbelievable, yeah, you know, yeah. Gary Willis, um, yeah, 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 Matt, yeah, but yeah. I just think the real tone comes from right here, that's just personal preference. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think there is, like, so, at some point where the, the action goes too low, and yeah, it's, it's like, oh, yeah. the tone decreases pretty much you know, when you do that, yeah. But, like, you, tell them the story about your, because this is your base, is it? Oh, no, this is not, I, I actually got this from a friend, um, I was in a cab. And uh, I went to go take the, I left my, I put my bass in the trunk and I went to go take it out and the dude just peeled off with my Aguilar and my, yeah, the full, uh, my P bass, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, all the effects pedals. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I was like. Okay, so like you've got obviously, so were these the pedals that you had left? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I'm a huge fan of the OC2 uh, from Boss, which is pretty much, you know, Pino Palladino, Bootsy, yeah. Larry Graham, that was yeah. like, 
their stuff. So, um, and is this what is this octave then? This is Tim Lafave's Otto Lafave. It's from Three Leaf Audio, I believe they're from Seattle. Oh, is this where they tried to model the, his the OC2. OC2? So, basically, the thing with this pedal, it's very simple. Um, basically, you can have the sub, you know, uh, you can also add a high with just the red button. So, I cut out the low, yeah. Um, like I said, if I do that again, it just cuts out the high. Yeah. And um, as opposed to actually being up there and dialing it like the OC2, this is very convenient for me when I'm yeah, on Yeah, you can, that, that, there's that secret sub sound, isn't it? That's not secret. Yeah, anymore. like I see people <laughs> just, you know, I would see Tim like move his stuff. So um, yeah. Tim is a genius for coming up with this. It's just super simple to like, I could play like this, you know. Yeah. Yeah, okay, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It's as one of them to... pedals where you can actually fit your full foot over the two, the two things as well can't you? you can put them both on at the same time yeah and this has yeah, become yeah. pretty popular amongst a lot of bass players today I, I, do you see a lot of guys using them oh yeah, yeah. vitzer wooden i've seen you use oh that. really yeah james genus i remember uh i was like james do this and james was like don't touch my pedal <laughs> 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 and what about the green one um tim Lafave, i've seen tim, tim Lafave use one of these i'm, a, well. I'm a, not a tim cl um, clone but i love tim sound effects um yeah, absolutely. this is the carbon copy bright you know it's off the carbon copy from mhsr um yeah. the reason i use the bright is because the bass is very low tones and the bright kind of allows it to cut through more just gives it a bit more top end yeah what does it do is it like a looper or you know, this uh, kind of breaks up the the chromatic, like the note. So it's some sort of delay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, when uh, Tim's playing with like Trance and stuff, Trance will be playing like bottom end stuff and do that and we'll add like a another whole element to the yeah, music yeah, and stuff yeah, yeah. so yeah yeah i definitely got yeah tim is definitely one person that's you know utilized the delay pedal with you know modern jazz with the music stuff that he does, yeah um, and yuri kane i saw him doing it with you oh kane, yeah yeah, uh, yeah. Like back in the day jeepers austin peralta and all those yeah yeah, yeah 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 um and what's this thing here oh uh, this thing i don't i'm is still trying to figure it out <laughs> yeah um this is basically a rain modulator um I used to use the Mudra Fugger, but that thing weighs so oh, much. They're, that... so, they're so big, aren't they? Oh, I know. Like, yeah. I would like break my batch. So this yeah. thing's pretty simple. It's an uh, electroharmonics frequency analyzer. So you could like distort. The thing is, it's, it's a very tricky pedal because you can't just play it with guys that are playing like harmonics stuff because it breaks up the tone. It's got to be within a, in, in, within a certain sort of like oh, harmonic yeah. environment. Yeah, Definitely yeah, pissed yeah, off yeah, a lot yeah. of people with that. Yeah, pedal. you can't be doing it on your like corporate gig and kick that. Off. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in the middle of sort of like I don't know, Lady Marmalade. Pretty much. <laughs> like yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. And then you know the Polytune, which is this basic tuner yeah, pedal. Yeah. What so. did you lose? What would you? What's the? Uh, what's oh, the, I had this straight pedal. Have you got anything pedal. that you miss and you're just like, I'm gonna get this? Not and... anything particular. This has pretty much always been my setup. Um, there's this great pedal. I can't pronounce it, but it's from Banana effects um it's like the it's a russian name um oh yeah i've heard of these yeah guys. tim yeah, actually yeah. is the one who made it hip um it's basically like an lfo um arpeggiator pedal yeah yeah it's like a little pedal and the thing just makes you sound like dubstep like it's it so wicked yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 man 
Well, if anybody wants to see you using all this stuff with your band, where, where can they find you? Uh, 55 Bar mostly. That's where uh, my residency is at with my group. Yeah. So. Oh, and like, are you, are you, have you got anything? Like, are you recording anything? Uh, YouTube, Instagram, uh, my website coming out. Are you doing and, an album? Dude, um, nothing dude come now. on. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> um, I did stuff with Randy, um, but yeah, years ago, but not really. I've been just playing mostly yeah, the yeah. few past years. Oh, man, you should do something. Oh, yeah. You oh, should do honestly, something. I'll get it. DVD. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll buy your DVD. <laughs> yeah, I'll buy your DVD. Honestly, seriously, man, you should do something because you're just Thank like, you. obviously, you know, doing some amazing stuff. Lastly, just while it's in my mind, oh, yeah. when we were talking about that, you know, they're just the different rhythmic feel. Yeah. Um, and not being like stereotypical bass lines. Yeah. If somebody wants to get into that kind of stuff, who do you recommend they go and check out as well as obviously you? Lafave. Um, I would definitely say Kevin Scott. Um, Fema Efron, Nay Wood on bass is on great. Base, yeah, 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 yeah. ridiculous. Greedy, isn't it? Yeah. Jonathan Marin. Yeah. Um, James has a concept. James, you know, when James plays with Wayne, like consistently, he totally understands that vibe. He, he, and he understands plays that. The vibe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, is there oh. anything that sort of like any exercises that you used to do to get that stuff down, or was it just more playing like, with a metronome? Was it playing and with just playing ideas yeah. in your head, you know, um, and trying to get away from like that. a certain box? Like, I need to play this, or you know, yeah. playing with a Jamie Abersold or you know the I real B or something because you're confined within those chords and whatever the yeah you're trying to actually break out of that yeah yeah normally like with my group I always tell like the musicians like really listen to what we're playing like don't just comp because you just want to play this you know um, yeah yeah try and react to it exactly yeah 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 absolutely. like if you play a a major seven on a minor chord like just to know that, that that's where that's going yeah and hear so, it yeah yeah yeah. Absolutely. Well, Brad, you've been absolutely awesome. Guys, Thank what you. we'll do is we'll make sure that on the show notes page, yeah, show notes page, I'm jet lagged, third time, <laughs> I'm jet lagged. Um, on the page, in the show notes, we'll link to Instagram, are you oh, on yeah. Facebook? And I'm on Facebook too, yeah, Brad Instagram. Adam Miller. Brad Adam Miller. Yeah, for both. Dude, you're awesome. Thank, Thank you, you Scott. Awesome, thanks yeah. for coming you're along. You're welcome. Okay, guys, thanks again for listening, and obviously a huge shout out to Brad for coming and hanging with us and bringing down the whole band to the studio. We had an absolute scream. If you are an Academy member at scottsbassessons.com, make sure you check out all of the, obviously you can watch the entire video version of the interview that you've just listened to, but also the amazing performances. We brought, you know, Brad brought down his entire band and absolutely killed it that day. Just a phenomenal band, phenomenal performances. I think you'll really, really dig it. And actually, I think I've got to say that Brad has got the best bass face ever. He rivals the best of the best, I think. I, I Personally, I think that he, he deserves the crown of bass faces. Uh, which is a, uh, a very worthy title. Anyway, as I said, this will be the last player interview that we're going to be doing on the SBR podcast, and we're going to be moving all of the high-quality stuff that we've been doing over the last few months because of the cost of each episode, because it's incredibly expensive to, to keep doing these, we're going to be moving them into the membership. Don't worry, we're not removing them. We're not removing them from the podcast, but any future ones will be solely kept for the uh, the membership at scottsbassessons.com. Now, if you are not a member of scottsbassessons.com, you absolutely should be. If you if you want to take your bass playing to the next level, that is. If you're le- ready to level up your bass playing. If you're not ready to level up, if you don't want to take your bass playing to the next level, we're probably not the right place for you. But if you are, if you do want to do that, we are the ultimate online bass school. 
You can learn with the best bass players in the world. You can study with these guys from the comfort of your own home. We've got the world's largest course li- video course library of bass educational material. Uh, obviously, it's all video courses from the you know the craziest faculty. We've got you know some some of the best bass tutors in on the globe. <laughs> in the globe, on the globe, teaching for us. And they also do live streams every single week. So you can interact with them in real time. You can ask them questions. If you've got a problem, you can ask them about it. If you need some direction, you can ask them. We're really, really, it's just a completely new opportunity for bass players such as yourselves to finally, you know, be able to access a a resource, a platform like this to, you know, really push your bass playing to the next level and level up. So, Other than that, guys, this is weird saying this because next time I'm on the podcast, it'll just be me. And I'm not going to kind of like nail down a date or anything. I'm definitely not going to be doing these every week, I wouldn't say. It's probably going to be every sort of like bi-weekly or even monthly moving forward for the podcast because I really want to focus on um, getting the kind of like just building the platform to, you know, to the... Uh, to the level that I want it to be but also really focusing on the getting more tutors in and and more courses and making sure that our curriculum that we're structuring is is really you know really hitting home and doing what it should be so other than that guys as always take it easy and I'll see you in the shed Mm -hmm.